I was driving home one day from work and I just sat there and went, LMA Studios. And I rang my mum and I was like, mum, mum, I've got a name. I can visualise it now. I can see it. I need, I need a logo. That's it. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to a new season of In Pursuit Passion produced by Empire Media and hosted by myself, Hamish Hallett, in a podcast where I interview amazing individuals pursuing their passions to the fullest. In the first episode of this new season, I was joined by the one and only Lucy Carterville in a conversation all about creating a sense of belonging through dance. We also covered how Lucy found dance at an early age, opening LMA studios and her cost to her passion. So sit back, relax, and let's pursue this passion. Welcome Lucy Carterville to In Pursuit of Passion. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hello. Hi. Yes, I'm good. I'm excited to be here. I How are you? I'm very excited for you to be here. And yeah, I'm, I'm doing very, very well, having a great weekend so far. Now, oftentimes when I start these conversations, these episodes, I often start at the beginning uh, of guests' sort of upbringing. And oftentimes, I think you maybe you've heard this saying, we're often, you know, the product of our environment. And I'd love to know, like, was there a defining moment in your early years that has, you know, shaped the person that you are today? Um, I actually think it's really weird to think of, but I think of myself as almost two different people because uh, my childhood, my whole childhood has shaped me today. I was really young when my parents actually split. Um, don't really remember my real dad being at home or anything like that. And had a lot of struggles uh, with my relationship with my real dad, um, but in a way where it made me really aware of who I was as a person. And my mum was brilliant. She made me very aware of my own mental health, um, which I think um, as an adult, if you gain those skills as a child, really, I think that really helped me. Um, so I faced a lot of like, challenging decisions and quite adult decisions at quite a young age. So it made me really independent. Um, and I had to make these decisions and say, right, is this really what you want to do? I had to cut off all like influence, what adults would say to me and everything like that and be really secure in my own decisions. So I think that that made me really independent, um, made me stick to my guns um, and definitely pushed me to want to do what I want to do rather than what other people think mm, I should do. God, that's such amazing. Because oftentimes, I know what you mean with like, when you're young, younger, you're sort of not sure what you want to do. But the fact that you sort of been able to sort of, not fully, because I understand sometimes we get influenced by everyone sometimes, but sort of like manage the influences and really understand what influence is right for me and what, right, what the influence isn't right for me. What I really liked about your response mm. there was your talk about decisions, and especially in your kind of like early years. What was your like hardest decision to make during those times? So when I was coming up to my teens, I was finding it really difficult. Um, I was still seeing my real dad 
um, every other weekend. And I have a sister from that side of my family as well. Um, the relationship was just very toxic and it would bring me down. And that's why I went to dancing because it was kind of my space where I could shut off everything and just be a dancer. I didn't have to worry about anything else. And it came to the point where it started to be on my mind constantly. I couldn't let go and everything like that. I think the hardest decision was having to say, I really, I don't think this relationship is working anymore. I think that I need to step away and be on my own. And it was hardest because it was quite because of the toxic, the toxic relationship. It meant that I would lose that relationship with my sister as well. Um, that hands down, I think the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. But I always say, like, don't live with regret um, because every decision that I have ever made has brought me here on this podcast today talking about my passion. Um, so you have to be grateful for the downs as much oh, as the completely. ups. I think we're, well, that's, you know, that's our message on this podcast. You know, it's about mm. embracing the ups, mm. but also embracing those very, very like lows. And I feel like at such mm. a young age, you've, mm. you've experienced something very like quite, if you don't mind me saying this, quite traumatic, if that's a good way of. Oh yeah. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's, it's, it's great to, to see that you sort of not 100% part moved past it, but just sort of, um, you know, acknowledge the decision and you're sort of happy with the decision and you've not lived with regrets, which I think for anyone listening, I think is super, super sort of inspiring and sort of empowering in that sense. And I know you said about how dancing was sort of a good way to sort of, you know, remove yourself from these sort of situations. And I know that you said that you found your passion at like 13 years old by, you know, teaching dancing. I would just love to know, like, how did you feel when you found your passion at such a young age? So I'd always loved dance and I'd go home and I'd still be dancing around. And then I got asked if I wanted to um, assist in classes and I've always enjoyed being around children and things like that. And I remember oh, so clearly um, I had actually taught a child in ballet um, an arm exercise and it was the first thing I'd ever taught by myself not as an assistant it just so happened that they needed extra help I was there so I gave it to them and then they did it and I was like oh my gosh I taught that to them and they've just done it back it was in the grand scheme of things it was so small but to me I was like oh my gosh, this is amazing. Yeah, I want to do this forever. This feels great. This child feels more confident because they know it and I just feel lovely and what I want to I do it again. Really interesting just about your response there was like, you've always said that you always saw yourself as a dancer. I just, I'm quite curious, like how do you mean by that? Why did you always see yourself as a dancer? So my family love music. We've always like had music playing at home and 
I was the only one out of my friends at school that danced. So I almost became, that became my identity at school within my friends. And, you know, if you go to a party when you're younger, it was like, oh, well, Lucy dances, Lucy, you show us the moves and things like that. And I loved it so much that I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be Lucy the dancer. That can be my thing. And I think as well, dance, dance can be a really horrible environment, but the dance world that I was in wasn't. It was amazing and it was supportive. And you could talk to your dance teacher about anything and your friends were always there for you. And so I just loved it. And I wanted to continue being the person that I was inside dance, outside of dance as well, because I was always confident while I was dancing. But outside of dancing, I never had any confidence. I think it's about knowing your own capabilities. And when I'm dancing or when I'm teaching, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I mean, I've been doing it for so long now that I trust myself with it. But if I put myself in a new situation, do I trust that I know what I'm going to do? Do I, you know, am I going to say the right things? Are these new people going to like me? I, I'm not always confident within work, but it's where I'm my most confident. No, that's a great answer. I think it's such an important lesson for all of us to take on in the sense of, you know, trusting our own ability and trusting our own senses. Because I think oftentimes we are our biggest critic. And I don't think we give us enough credit in terms of our own abilities. But I think this kind of segues into like a really good question I really wanted to ask you was, you had this thought of like wanting to be a dance owner, but not seeing yourself as a dance owner. So I kind of want to know, like, where did this sort of thought come from? So I was never, and I know that, I know myself very well, I was never the best dancer in the room. I, I've never been the best at anything in the room. And people have told me that in the past. And even small things like when I was trying to improve my flexibility when I was younger, my dance teacher would say to me, oh, I just don't think you're ever going to get this into the splits. And, you know, when I did cut things off with my real dad, he said, oh, well, you know, I pay for half your dance fee. So without me, you're not going to dance anymore. So it was always this thing of I was always relying on someone and their opinion and things like that. And I just thought, well, yeah, this is my ultimate dream. So if I can't, if people tell me I can't get these little things, I'm never going to reach all the way up there and get what is the one thing that I had my eyes on yeah. forever. So what changed then? What changed from no longer seeing yourself as a dance owner to now seeing yourself as one? So I'd actually finished. Um, I ended up walking away from the dance school that I was teaching at. I'd been there for a long, long time. It was a dance school I grew up in and it was a really sad ending and I had no confidence. And I just thought, do you know what? I don't think teaching is for me. I need to almost said to, I said like, I need to grow up. I need to realize that this isn't going to happen. I'll get an office job. An office job will be easy. It'll be fine. And I walked out and I got myself a couple of jobs all different jobs and I've always had a good work ethic so it didn't matter that they weren't my dream jobs I still worked hard uh you know I was a cleaner for next I worked in new look um I was a dinner lady at a primary school I did all these things all at the same time um 
And I had people that I had taught before, their parents got in touch with me and said, oh, you starting out on your own? I said, no, I really don't think it's for me. And it was just because I said to my mum, there's no name. There, like, It's not a thing yet. And I was driving home one day from work and I just sat there and went, LMA Studios. And I rang my mum and I was like, mum, mum, I've got a name. I can visualise it now. I can see it. I need, I need a logo. That's it. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And my dad actually made the logo for me on like art on his computer. And um, he did that. Um, he, th- I call him dad, but he's my stepdad. Um, I've called him dad for a very long time. Um, we had a Chinese and we sat there. And I just thought, yeah, why not? And I opened on the 1st of December, which is an awful time to open a dance school because it's right before Christmas. No one's got any money because they've spent everything on Christmas presents. But it it was one, you know, it's it was the first day of all of this. So it was meant to be. Gosh, that is amazing. The fact that you thought of your name for your dance student in your car is just so fascinating because I think oftentimes... When we try so hard to think of a name or let's say like a company, um, clothing brand, whatever whatever it is, we it's too we can't think of the right name in the moment because we're so because our brain's so focused on it. But as you said, you just thought the name randomly in 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 the car because your brain was just naturally just doing its own thing, basically. So I think that's such a great lesson to everyone else who's who's sort of listening to this to, to not think so hard about the name and just let it come naturally. And where I want to sort of lead this conversation to then is like, how was your first day running LMA Studios? Completely. I I shook like a leaf the whole time. And my first student that ever walked through the doors is actually still with me. I did um, four classes um, on a Friday evening and I had four people turn up all different ages for all different classes. So there was like one person in each class and I knew all of these people anyway. I'd taught them before and they followed me cause they loved the way I taught. And yeah, my first student to ever walk through the door, his name's Ben and he was in my youngest class. So he was the first person ever. And now he's about to start secondary school. Um, so, and he has been on this journey with me really and his whole family as well. Um, but I, yeah, I was just so nervous. I just didn't, I, I taught before but never like that and I just I sweat like not like never before um I was absolutely dripping in sweat but amazing I don't think I've ever felt like excitement on that level when I walked out and I was like oh my god I've done it like four people four whole people turned up just for me it was yeah it was a really good feeling gosh you know what is we always remember our early moments during our passions like Relating to like what I do as a passion, like I remember my first time on the radio station in Canada where I wasn't like on air like because I didn't do it properly. And I just, no. just remember doing no. that. And um, it was just like, it was so embarrassing, but I r- learned from that sort of mistake. 
And now I'm, you know, doing this podcast and doing so many series for it, you know? So I feel like those early moments can really, you know, shape us and our passions and our identity. And I feel like, do you kind of still get those sort of early moments with your passion where you still have those like insights or sort of that kind of, um, that sort of, I don't know, that giddly feeling with your passion base? Yeah, I think that something that I find is that it doesn't matter how long I've been doing it, how many people are in the class, like every day that I go, I still get that tinge of nervousness and think, is everyone going to turn up today? Or if someone new starts, or as you say, if something goes wrong, it takes you straight back to that first day again. Um, but I think that's a good thing that, to be like that, because I think it's you're always trying to be better and you're always trying to I try and stick to the core of why I started it. And I think that nervousness helps keep mm. that. Oh, it's like the, it's so interesting. Like my flatmate actually said this super interesting way. It's like this first job. He said, you know, nervousness and excitement are two are basically two same things, which I found so mm. interesting, which mm. I was like, yes, absolutely. Um, in that sense. And you said about like how the nervousness sort of um, reminds you of like why you started your own studios. I'd, I'd love to know that. What was what was your why behind starting the studios then? You know, I mentioned before that I I went to dance because it gave me this sense of belonging, and I wanted to give that to other students. I love not just teaching them dance, but knowing every single part of them and being someone that can be there to give advice and to help teach how to tie their shoelaces and for them just to be them. And it creates a community. You get to know their families, their parents, and being able to do that and giving children a safe space where they know they're not going to be judged. They know that they can come in, they can say the craziest things to me. I might laugh, but I'm going to laugh with them. I'm not going to laugh at them. And I think that's it because everyone everyone is so different. And I'm so lucky that I've been able to teach so many different children, adults, that I've seen so many different walks of life. But really, everyone also has so many similarities. And getting to bring that together and creating, we call it a dance family. We, I've created my own dance family. I, for me, nothing beats that, and that's why I do it. Great, that's a great message to have, and a great like sort of purpose to have. You know, creating that mm. space for students to be mm. confident and to be themselves. I'd just love to know, like, how how do you do that then? Because I think for me, I think I think it's it's quite hard because I think a lot of businesses try and, or even whatever, if it's businesses, if that's studios, whatever it is, they try and create these environments that allow people to be themselves and to be confident. I'd just love to know, like, how do you do it? How do you create that environment for students to be themselves and to be confident whilst attending your dance studio? I'm a very honest person and I'm quite an open person and I'm very aware of who I am, my faults, my good parts, and I'm not afraid to say my bad parts I'm not afraid to own up to things that go wrong and things like that and I think that sometimes people are very quick to advertise that they do certain things and that they are certain things but don't but focus more on advertising that 
than actually doing it. And I think having a space where it's the people that are your customers that are saying, Lucy does this, rather than me saying it, is like the proof that I'm doing it. And I say everywhere, we're all inclusive. I don't care what abilities you have, what disabilities you have, you're an equal to me. And you can come to me and if I need to talk with a parent so that I can better understand a child's needs, I will do that. And then that parent feels that they can trust me a little bit more. I think trust has a big thing to do with it. If I can show students that I will tell them anything, absolutely anything, whether it's that I spilt yogurt down my top that day and I had to change it five minutes before I came out. If it's something silly that I've done, you know, it just makes them feel like they've got a little piece of me so they can give a little piece back. And I think that I do. I really think that that helps build a really solid like relationship. And then they come to you about anything And then once they feel they can do that, they'll do it with their friends as well. They'll do it at home and it grows and grows. Um, I, I don't think about it when I do it, if I'm honest. I just, it's just part of me and I just take that part of me to work. And I think that's why yeah. it happens. Well, that's beautiful because often, I mean, it's such a great way that you said it because I think oftentimes companies, I don't want to name these companies by the way, because I might get in trouble here, but to say like sometimes some companies right just say they are diverse they are inclusive they care about the environment or they care about i don't know equality whatever whatever it is but their actions don't speak loud their actions don't speak basically and i think what you just said is a perfect example of action speaking louder than words it's such a perfect example of that and what you then said was super interesting was this trust as well I think a lot of businesses or even business owners would be thinking and listening to this thinking like they struggle to build trust with their employees or they, they struggle to even build trust in general or, or any of their relationships, really. So I'd love to know, like, how do you do it? How do you build that trust to allow, as you said, this environment for you know, people to be themselves and to be confident? I think you have to be a very open-minded person. I've come to realize more um since opening lma that everyone's different everyone's got a different backstory and things like that and you have to accept people for who they are and if you sit down and listen to people you know even people that do things that are wrong if you give someone the time and the space to talk to you about it there's probably a reason behind it and you're never at the finish line of something you can always change what you've done Um, and I, I do, I talk way too much to some of my parents and they probably get sick of me, but I want them to know that their children are safe with me and that you can talk to me about anything. I'll talk to them about anything. But I know that it takes time and that's why I try and be really personal and show a bit of personality with like our social media, post a lot of like the children just being natural. Uh, rather than post things and everything like that because I think it it creates a realistic view of what we are you know I'm not some big company with 300 employees it is just me and that's what we are and that's why we're good at it and there are other companies that have got loads of employees and that's why they're good at what they do but I'm exactly who I am I'll show you 
if you love it, you can take it. If you don't, then that's absolutely fine because there's probably something else that's different to me that you can have as well. But it just so happens that, you know, as a community, I'm very lucky that a lot of people do like the openness. They do want someone outside of family or friends to talk to, especially young children. Um, that's not going to judge them or anything like that. Um, yeah, I think no, that's totally. Why. And what it kind of sort of springs to my mind then is, you know, you love being a role model, which I which I find super fascinating. I have a question in my mind that I would like I would actually like to ask you as well. It's like, why do you love being a role model? I love to see how I can positively impact people. And I think it's less about what I can give to someone, but more what you can show someone that they already have. And especially with students, you know, they get to a certain age and they become really self-conscious. But if you show them parts of themselves that they don't see, that are already there, then that's going to create a positive change. If they're um, struggling with a certain dance move in class, you just, all it takes is five minutes just to stop. You rewind a little bit and all of a sudden it's there and that creates positive impact and positive change. And watching students grow into the people that they want to be and people that, um, are just going to be great for the community and the world. Yeah, I there's I love every single person that walks through my doors and I care about every person that walks through our doors, whether it's the grandparent or the student. You've come into my space and I care about you and I will do, I will always do absolutely anything for them. Um, I make it clear. I tell them a lot that they I will do absolutely anything for them because I see how it does change them, and I see the positive impact that it makes. You know, when they we recently um, in the summer, just before the summer started, we took fifty students to perform at Spurs Stadium, and seeing how that impacted their confidence. It was stressful to do it. I shook like a leaf. I cried like a baby. But messages that I got from parents afterwards saying how much it positively changed them, that that alone is worth every minute of stress and worry. No, absolutely. And I mean, that's beautiful to hear that you kind of, your reasoning to be a role model is, is to really positively impact people and to allow them to see. And the thing is, I never... Ha- I, I often sometimes I think a lot of people don't know their greatest strengths in them I think having a person like you to tell them you are great at this you're great at this and you're great at this I think is super is super powerful there was my my sort of when I was coming onto this conversation my my original question well even though I said I would like I wanted to know about you know why you want to become a role model there's also part of me that thinks that comes with a lot of pressure I just mm. want to know mm. Being a role model, does it come with an extra pressure at all for you? Or has, has there been a way to handle it? Yeah, um, especially when you're a little bit of an overthinker. And 
um, <laughs> you know, sometimes you say things and I'm aware I talk far too much. Always have, always will. It's just part of me. Sometimes it's great, sometimes not so much. But sometimes I'll have a conversation with someone and I walk away and think, did I say the right thing? They're probably thinking it was a great conversation. I think, did I say the right thing? And I won't sleep thinking about like three words that I said and think, oh, I should have taken it back. And I'll like replay the conversation in my head over and over and over again and think, well, what should I have said instead? And I think actually if the conversation happened again today, I'd probably say the same thing, but I still overthink it anyway. Um, I worry far too much about what I say. Um, is it the right thing to say? But I just have to go with it so far. Most of the time, it seemed okay. So I'm, I can't be too yeah. bad. I mean, it, it's, I mean, that's, I love that honesty as well because I think I, I was nodding my head so much and like put my hand on and say, yes, 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 because I'm the exact same person. I overanalyze so many things. It's ridiculous. Even my girlfriend is like, hey, man, stop overthinking. It's ridiculous. Like, she tells me off about this. And, and so I like, to, I love to know then because, as you said, there's been times where you like overanalyze certain things, but then there's been times where you sort of just let go of that thought. Mm. So this is kind mm. of my own question that I'd love to like know is like, how do you, like, how do you manage that? How do you sort of let go of certain things, but then also analyze certain things that need to be analyzed? If that question makes sense. Um, it's a great question. One that I'm still learning. Um, I think it comes, it comes with experience of, I think the first time you come across a situation and you're not sure if you're doing the right thing, I really overthink it massively. But as the business grows and as time goes on, the same situations do crop up again. And you think, well, I dealt with it like this last time. So I'll deal with it like this again. And we'll hope that it has a similar turnout. And sometimes you're just so tired that sleep just has to happen and your brain just has to let it go. It might come up three months afterwards, but I don't, I don't control what I overthink. I think if we could, it wouldn't happen. Um, and it's normally the silliest of things that I overthink, but it just, yeah, it's just experience that helps. And trusting, trusting my own decisions again and knowing, okay, you've done the right things. Let's just hope that they see it that way as well. I completely, I find that time can be, I think a great sort of, um, I don't know if I think, I don't know if teacher is even the right word, but I feel like oftentimes these experiences and putting yourself out there and making decisions more and more can then create that sort of, um, yeah, it's that sort of kind of. Maybe repertoire, maybe I don't even know what the right word is, but like often it does yeah. those experiences can really, yeah, you can look back and think, okay, so I did this last time, and this and this is how I happened. This then builds up on the experience to then understand, right? I made this decision last time; it went pretty well. I shouldn't overanalyze it. I shouldn't overthink it. You know, let's go with it, really, and it creates that confidence within yourself. So, definitely, I think that's a really good, great piece of advice. Advice I did need to take on as well as someone who overthinks, but no, it's great. It's great to hear. And I know you've been a very open book in this conversation, like which I really appreciate. I want to know, like, what is the cost to your passion that nobody sees? A lot. Um, 
working for yourself when it's just you can can be really lonely um I've also I also find that because I have to be uh such a bubbly not have to be it's part of me um I'm such a like bubbly open person very um high energy especially with young children all the time that I feel that I'm almost losing that sometimes when I go out socially uh you I have to give up things in the other part of my life that I would maybe want to do because it is my priority but I'm choosing to make that my priority I love it more than anything but it comes at a cost I can't have it all but I'm choosing to have this um it can be very draining when every part of the business is down to me i've got to make sure that everything's up to date all emails are answered social media is up to date website is going uniform is ordered music is cut choreography is made i'm there on time for classes you know um speakers are charged everything um banking accounts it's all down to me so doing every part of that can be very very draining sometimes um but I think it's what I also love about it I'm a little bit of a control freak so being able to do every part of the business I also love um but it's tiring it means that sometimes I'll go and teach every day of the week and won't see my friends because I'm choosing to work instead yeah because oftentimes I feel like being an entrepreneur can be a really lonely place because mm. the thing the reason why i say this is because i resonate with it because so my mum and my dad owned their own business they've now retired and they sold it and oftentimes i saw how how much stress they were under and how it kind of affected like the relationships as well like i wouldn't say it affected my relationship with them at all it may it kind of did in some aspects potentially but not in like negative super negative ways so i kind of want to know like how has running a business sort of affected those close to you, if that's a positive or a negative way? I'm very lucky that I've got an extremely supportive family and friends that I call family. Um, my circle is very small. Um, I think it needs to be when you are running your own business because you, you're so vulnerable and you need people around you that you can trust. Um, all of my family help me with every event. They come to local school fates. They're always there. You know, uh, my fiance, he became, uh, during this uh, fate season, he was holding the banner constantly every time because it was too windy uh, to leave it on its own. And then the parents clock on and they're taking pictures of him and it's becoming something like that. I love that they're part of it. It does mean that, you know, I've sometimes missed um, birthday dinners or things like that. But I'm so grateful that they understand. They appreciate that it's exactly what I want to do. And sometimes I come home from work. I haven't seen my partner for hours and hours and hours. And he's excited, speaks to me about both of our days and things like that. I've still got work to do. Just because I'm home doesn't mean I'm finished. And he's like, okay, you need half an hour. I'll leave you to it for half an hour and then we'll chat afterwards. I get everything done, close the laptop and walk away. 
But not if not everyone's like that. And I have come across people that don't understand it and they're like, oh, just hire help. Like, well, no, I want to do it. You want to do it yourself and it's worth the stress. And because you've got people there that do support you, it make oh, it makes my life so much easier. They allow me to make it my priority. And without them, I, I 100% wouldn't be able to do it. Really? Wow. That's quite a strong statement. How, how come? Because there's other parts that, because I'm giving 100% to that, there's other parts in my personal life that I lack. You know, whether it's putting the washing on or doing the washing up or making a dinner, I will get home and there's a dinner waiting for me. And it's just something that I don't have to think about. If, if silly things like when we went and to the Spurs Stadium, I had so much on my mind. My mum bought baby wipes just for the children to wipe their hands off they've eaten their lunch. Little things I don't have to think of that they think of for me that makes it um, help being there for me because all these parents, they're so supportive and they're amazing. They're there to support their children. And it doesn't matter how old you are, having family there that say to you, you're doing such a good job. I'm really proud of what you did today. Even for the smallest of things, is what boosts you to do it again next time god yes absolutely absolutely i'm trying to think of like different ways of like responding to your responses not be like yes yes absolutely it's just (laughs) sometimes it's it's fine that you agree yeah i I, I completely do no no i completely agree it's it's so it's so important because i think it, it, it can be you know as i said before you know being a business owner can be so lonely but oftentimes when you have people who just understand what you do and why you do it. I think why you do it is more important about what you do. Mm. I think is amazing. And mm. I think, you know, so, you know, your fiance sounds amazing. So it sounds great. And I think it's good to have that sort of support network. And I think, you know, and oftentimes, yes, you know, even if some people might not understand it, I think regardless of the number of people who do understand it, it's always important to have those people who can support you, you know? So mm. God, absolutely. Mm. I mean, it's such a great, great, great thing to have. And what I'd love to know about then is, you know, as, as you've been someone who's been, you know, pursuing your passion to the fullest, what are sort of, you know, three non-negotiable values that you, you, that you have or that you follow in pursuing your passion? I think I've spoken probably about most of them throughout the podcast, but number one is honesty. Um, hands down, when you make mistakes, own up to them. You know, sometimes I order the wrong uniform or I've spelt a child's name wrong on the back of a hoodie, or I've forgotten to do something, and then I see that child and think, oh my gosh, I was meant to do that before I came today. Don't bend your way around it. Just straight on, be honest. People appreciate honesty, and they can work around honesty and over a lie. Um, it's also really valuable to me, because if parents are honest with me, then I know where I stand. Um, I think appreciation as well. I appreciate my job more than anything. I appreciate every single person that's ever liked a post, that's ever shared anything, that's ever walked into my class, even if they've come for a free trial and they think this isn't for me. I still appreciate you because you've taken the time out of your day to come into my space and see what we're all about. Um, And appreciating it means never taking it for granted. And I don't think I'll ever take it for granted. To some people, what I do is nothing, but to me, it's absolutely everything. 
Um, I think consistency as well. It's important to not get comfortable. I need to keep doing the exact same things that I did the first day I opened. Um, I've learned a lot and I do a lot more than I did before. And I probably do some things better, like posters. I look at, look at some of the posters I made when I first opened and think, yeah, you can tell that that was made on Microsoft PowerPoint. But, you know, that's that's part of it. But if I consistently keep doing all those core things that I did when I started, hopefully, fingers crossed, it will keep growing the way it has been so far. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's always about kind of, um, <clears throat> it's about the, uh, sort of the snowball effect. You probably know about mm. it. You know, it's about mm. building up that snowball. The more you do it, the more consistent you are, the bigger it gets, the bigger it gets, the bigger it gets. And it, you know, becomes this massive thing that you then look back on and you think, oh, wow, I made a lot of progress here. Because oftentimes I think we're so, we're so sort of narrow and super focused on our pursuits, our passions. And oftentimes we're, we just don't know how this is going to end or how, not even how it's going to end, but how it's going to sort of um, progress. Yeah. And uh, being consistent, yeah. I think, is such a, a key value. For anyone who's pursuing that passion and also honesty i think if you're not being honest to yourself you you just you're just not you're just not yourself i don't think mm. it's weird like lying mm. like i used to when i was younger i used to lie quite a lot um about stuff which i shouldn't have done looking back but it's how you right? learn yeah, yeah totally right i think honesty is such a it's like such a key value because i think whilst you, by being honest you can then really you know, be your true self and allow others to be honest as well, which I think is mm. it's beautiful, mm. you know? So no, absolutely. And, you know, Lucy, this has been such a great conversation. And my last question oftentimes is, you know, what does passion mean to you? Um, passion for me, it's become my whole life. Um, but I think passion, it can be anything. It can be reading. It can be absolutely anything, but it's just something that you care about no matter what, and you will give your everything to. Some people like me are lucky enough to get to the position where they do their passion every single day. Some people, it just stays a hobby. Some people, it it doesn't even stay a hobby. Some people lose it because other things happen in their life. But I think everyone has a passion and the great thing about people is that everyone has a different passion and it doesn't matter what it is it just has to be something find something that you love more than anything and allow yourself to do it no matter what allow yourself to do it because if you don't do it no one else is going to do it for you So just have something that you love more than anything. Put your all into it, whether it is a hobby, whether it's climbing mountains, whatever it is, do it. Because that is just something that you'll have in your life. It's not something that's physically there, but it's part of your soul. And it can blossom into so many other things. I really never thought that I would have done some of the things that I've been able to do today. But it's because of where my passion has led me that I've been able to do it. Um, it's almost taken its own personality and running away from me. Um, but I'm chasing after it as quickly as I can. <laughs> I hope you can catch it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy, this has been such a great conversation. I think I really appreciate how open you've been, how vulnerable you've been. I appreciate how 
you know, the advice you've been given, the the way, you know, you, you've been honest by saying it can be quite a lonely experience being an entrepreneur, I think is so valuable to everyone who is pursuing their passion so far. So I just want to say a massive thank you for, you know, coming on to In Pursuit of Passion. No, thank you for having me. It's not very often that I speak about myself and where it's all come from. So it's really lovely to have this platform to come and do so. I really appreciate no, my it. Pleasure. The pleasure is mine. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of In Pursuit of Passion produced by Empart Media and hosted by myself, Hamish Hallett. What a great conversation with Lucy Carterfell all about her passion for dance. You can find all of her links down below in the episode bio if you want to check out all of her work that she is doing at the moment. Until the next episode of In Pursuit of Passion, keep pursuing that passion and see you in the next one.